Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Dream Golf. Dream Golf is the brand behind some of the best golf resorts in America. You've got uh, Sand Valley in Wisconsin, Cabot, Cape Breton up in Canada, and of course, Band and Dunes. I think everybody probably would agree the best golf resort in the world. So they are putting together a little giveaway, which is a awesome deal. I mean, it's free to enter. You enter at dreamgolf.com slash giveaway. Uh, you enter your email and you are, you know, you have a chance to win a three night, four day stay at either Sand Valley or Bandon Dudes. So, you know, you could be one of the first people to play the Lido course, the new course they're building at Sand Valley next year, or you could be up at Bandon playing at, you know, the resort with five of the best public golf courses in America. So they'll be hosting the 2022 U.S. Junior, and obviously they have world-class golf at both resorts. So it is a free to enter. You need to do it by September 30th. So you're running out of time and you do it at dreamgolf.com backslash giveaway. I guess it's a forward slash dreamgolf.com slash giveaway to submit your entry. All right, today's episode is with the one and only Lawrence Donegan. Lawrence is a longtime golf journalist. He wrote for The Guardian and The Scotsman back in the day. Now he is one of the publishers of McKellar Magazine, my favorite written magazine that exists on golf. It's wonderful, wonderful writing. And Lawrence has a ton of experience covering major championships, European tour golf. Uh, a lot of the guys that are playing in, on this European team, he covered uh, over the years, and he's covered a fair share of Ryder Cups. So I thought he'd be a great perspective, a European perspective to come on and do our traditional five things podcast before a big event. So Lawrence uh, is on Twitter and Instagram. Follow him there, but also subscribe to his um, magazine. It's pretty cool. So without further ado, here is Lawrence Donegan. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Lawrence, welcome on. How you doing, Andy, mate? Great to be on. Long overdue. You should have been on years ago. Uh, wealth of, you know, music knowledge, wealth of golf knowledge, you know, written about Ryder Cups for years um, and obviously uh, major championships for years and, and really have covered the sport of golf uh, over this era that it's still going on. I didn't think that we were still going to be talking about Lee Westwood and Ryder Cups in uh, 2021, but here we are. Isn't that amazing? Actually, I've got a very quickly, uh, uh, Lee Westwood was picked for the 2001 Ryder Cup, and he was in great form. And he went, he had an absolute, well, being the, the Mr. Lee Westwood mega fan, you'll know he had the worst slump of all time. Yes. And I remember... So it was delayed a year, and I had to go up to Sahali for something. I was interviewing Monty or something. 
And I bumped into Lee Westwood on the first tee or whatever, and I said, how's it going? And he said, oh, fucking just terrible. <laughs> and then he proceeded to hit this two iron straight into the trees. And <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, my God. Uh, and then lo and behold, he gets to that right a couple of years later, or a couple of months later after that, completely out of form. And Sam Torrance nurses him through, and, and he's reborn. And here we are 20 years later. He's still playing in the Ryder Cup. What a career. What a player. I, I think like the slump, I'm drawn to the slump players. Yeah. Like I find I find Jordan Spieth extraordinarily more interesting now than he was when he was 22 and on top of the world. Like now that he's gone through what was the doldrums. I mean, the guy almost fell out of the top 100 in the world rankings. Yeah. And, and I think now coming back from that, he's so much more compelling because he's somebody that has faced adversity and, and at times I'm sure wondered if it was ever coming back. And in Westwood, I think that's probably where a lot of my fandom came from was that fact that he was this kind of a star cross superstar and it, it, the, all the near misses gut you, you know, it, it, yeah. it makes you really feel for a guy because as golfers, we're all used to failing 99% of the time. And, and that's the relatability that, that professionals can gain is when they struggle. The uh, and he's so kind of stoic. They're at Shipnuck after the 2009 Open at Turnberry. Shipnuck, as he does, snuck into the locker room and got that. Po- I don't. You should go back and look at it. That great little vignette of Westwood staring intensely at the water cooler. You know, can't, can't believe that because that was the one he should have won. I mean, he should have mm-hmm. won that. You know, I mean, there are a bunch that he should have won. Well, I, I think I think he, if you talk to him, I think he feels that that that's the one. Yeah, he is. Actually, I first saw him. I was caddying on the European Tour in 96. I, I remember, this is how far back I go with Westwood. I remember when he was a fantastic putter. <laughs> back in the, the, when he first came out on tour, he was a phenomenal putter. And I was caddying for a guy. And we, we played with him in good cadden. Terrible golf course in Ham, near Hamburg. And uh, his dad was pulling a trolley for him. And I swear to God, Westwood shot 65 one day. And I, I'd never seen anything better. And I just thought, this guy's going to win 73 majors. He looks so good. But so here we are, God, almost 30 years later. Isn't that amazing? He's still going strong. Anyway. Well, I mean, like, I don't think, I think that's the thing is like longevity is such an interesting thing. I don't think like, I don't think longevity should necessarily be used for the greatest players of all time, because I think like what you do in like, say your 10 year prime heyday is what should be trump all things is that those like when you're in your at your best versus when other guys were at their best like their peaks of their career but at the same token i think longevity longevity almost speaks to just pure overall talent because the you know the just the sheer ability to have it and still compete when you're 47 48 years old and make a Ryder cup team and and i think this this speaks to phil phil talent wise is off the charts and and I think that's you know something this is the first year we don't have Phil in a Ryder Cup in you know since the 90s the uh I've got a theory I mean one of my great uh passions is development Westwood was a very much a multi-sport athlete when he was a teenager he was a great uh, you call it soccer football player good, good really good runner he played all sorts of stuff uh, and he wasn't uh there was a guy around when when Westwood was a junior in England there was another guy called Michael Welsh who was a superstar, and they were very much contemporaries. And if they were ever in tournaments, Wells would always beat Westwood. So Westwood was never the best then. 
And I just think those kind of guys, they tend, the guys who didn't really do like full on golf early, those are the guys that kind of tend to last. I mean, I know Phil did, but Phil's got this kind of, he just loves golf more than anybody in the entire universe. I mean, he, but, so, but Westwood still going strong because I don't think he's, he's, he's not, still not burnt out. Isn't that amazing at the age of 48 or 49? Yeah, and I think the the other thing with that, when you play other sports, I think what also happens is you develop a really fierce competitiveness, which yep. can which you have to be super competitive when you've made you know in Phil's case tons of money. You're older, like there has to be some sort of competitive drive that in fire that burns, you know, because I think that's where we see some guys they make a bunch of money especially now with the PGA tour, the way it is, they make a ton of money and it's easy to take your foot off the pedal a little bit. You're not working as hard. You, you know, maybe you have kids and then all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, I could hang out with my kids versus I could go practice from nine till four. The, uh, I, I listened to, uh, Luke Donald, uh, on knowing up a couple of weeks ago, and it was really. I didn't, I thought he was older. He said, I'm 43 and I still think I can do this. I still, and that made me, I went and looked, I went and looked at his PGA Tour. He'd, he'd made thirty six point five million on the PGA Tour, and he's forty three. And he said, "I still think, you know, I still think I can do it. I still think I can, I can win tournaments. I can win majors." It's uh, so you got to have something else on top of just mm-hmm. the talent. And Westwood's got it. Phil's got it. Well, I think obviously ball striking is a big thing. Iron play, iron play endures. You know, you're never go- you're not going to be able to be the longest player once you hit thirty. Like you, you know, like speed is always going to favor the youth. So distance, sure, is a dominant force and becoming more and more dominant in the PGA Tour. And, and distance is a big thing this week at the Ryder Cup. But at the same time, the enduring talent is the ability. I always think the very best ball strikers, you know, when you're playing with a, a really great ball striker, is they never, ever miss yardages on approach plays. Pin high all day long. Well, when Donald was, you can't remember, Donald was short when he was world number one. World number one for 56 weeks, he was short, but he was talking about basically from 125 yards and in, yeah. it was up and down. That was it. Guaranteed, essentially guaranteed. Number one putter on the PG Tour three years in a row, and then top three for the next two. Five years as basically the best or one of the very best putters in the world. His approach play numbers for those oh, years, crazy. too, they were, I think his worst in five years was 16th. His worst rank of any of those three. So he'd always be, you know, 150th in the world or worse in driving off the tee. But every other statistic, he was top, effectively top 15. And and that's insane, is the all-around skill. And it also, it's so compelling. When I had him on our podcast, um, he talked about how playing with Rose at Marion was like a, a defining moment of his career. And... You know, he walked off the course and thought, if I could just hit it like Justin Rose, I'd win some majors. And that's when he went down a path that kind of led to what what we saw. He's tried to change his swing. And I think, didn't he go to Chuck Cook? I think he went to Chuck Cook. Yeah. So looking for an extra 15, 20 yards. Yeah. Yeah. But it's super, it's super interesting because then you, you, I've, I've did some research. I, it might have been from one of your articles after uh, it was from one of your articles Uh-oh. after Luke Donald won Wentworth in two, 2011 over Westwood and uh-huh. took number one. Rose, there were a lot of Rose quotes talking about how impressive Luke Donald's consistency was and how he needed to be more consistent. And 
Rose then became this world-class player, you know, shortly after one of the most consistent player, the, you know, outside of Rory, the most consistent player from 20 in the 2010s. And, you know, then Donald plays with Rose at Marion <laughs> and, <laughs> and he walks off the course thinking if I could just be like Justin Rose and, and, you know, and it doesn't work out for him, which is, it just golfers are the most, um, they're the most envious people, you know, they, <laughs> they could be, they're the final group of a major championship, you know, two of the best players in the world. And they look at the other guy across the, across the tee box and think about how they wish they could do things like the other guy could when they're playing in the final group of the major. And they, and that's, I think the hard thing with the game is like, how do you get better? And, and you've got a kid that, you know, uh, one of the best juniors in the, in the country. Um, uh, obviously, yeah, I, I, wouldn't but, go that, I wouldn't go that far. But, but anyway, anyway, you know, he's good play high division one golf. And you've got, but like one of the things I always find interesting is like you think about junior golfers, it, it, once you get to a certain level, golf gets so difficult to get better. And it really becomes who can figure out how to get better when you're already an elite and keep moving up as you get older. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's the great conundrum. I feel sorry for college coaches because they're essentially looking at a 16 or 16 and a 17 year old kid and trying to project where they're going to be in two or three years' time. It's, uh, you know, you look at some kids and you can tell straight away. For instance, uh, you can look at Tommy Morrison, who's a 17 year old kid. He's got a yeah. 6'9 guy, right? <laughs> yeah. Actually, I saw him at a Monday qualifier last week. He looked very impressive. Um, huge. Uh, he's huge. Huge, actually. I, I went to Olympia Fields on. I was in Chicago on Saturday and uh, went to Olympia Fields, and it was really. I mean, God Almighty! Look at the Oklahoma State team, Andy. My goodness, these guys are all giants. All yeah. of them are giants. So, but to that extent, college coaches are now just looking at size of kids, speed. <laughs> but well, it's like uh, becoming like um, high school baseball when like college scholarships, drafts. Not necessarily the best pitcher in the area is going to get the best scholarship it's the biggest one it's the one that yeah, they see the true. most speed the most you know the most that that they see the potential for the most electric stuff it's like drafting you know these these high school kids that get drafted they get drafted on projections rather than results and you know I'll never forget I had a buddy that was one of the best pitchers in the area and he got passed over for scholarships to division 1 and I was always like he's like I'm just I, he was 5'10 you know what what's going to yeah. 5'10 how is he going to get better and that's the thing I think with with golf is they're looking is like oh does this can this kid swing at one twenty five and that's a big tiebreaker between two kids that are similar in results. Well, the, uh, the big I mean, getting back to your your point though, the, the big thing is you know seeing still the intangibles. I mean, you can look at ten. You go to the junior players championship for instance, and you'll see the top twenty kids in the states, uh, and they're all great great players. But I mean, how do you pick out? You know, apart from size, how do you pick out the one, you know, who has the intangibles? You look at a 16-year-old Jordan Spieth and you knew straight away, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a kid who couldn't really swing it, didn't really have much in the way of fundamentals, but could just had that innate ability to get the ball in the hole. But that's that's it's not always so clear when you're looking at it. It's uh so getting back to your point, it is it's so you, you know what what separates the great players? I mean, it's it's all. I mean, well, I mean, like a perfect example too. Like, is Abe Answers twelfth in the world, and nobody, nobody yeah. would go and say, "I'm, I'm, I'm taking Abe Answer." But then you you look at it, and I think it's, I think he's two or three years running where he's made the least amount of bogeys on tour, yeah. and it's like, well, 
Like he's just very tidy, you know, like yep. he's the tidiest player on tour. Like it makes the least amount of mistakes, you know, makes putts when he needs to. It's, it's just, um, yeah, that's the thing with golf is like, everybody's got their, I think almost the, the idea I would take is finding the players that are most authentically them. Right. Because I think that's what golf so much is, is like the players that play to their, their own way are the ones that end up being the really the greatest players, right? Is that like, you know, everybody's, oh, he's the next heavy, but like John Rahm's John Rahm, you know? Yeah. And, and and you could say, oh, we want to fi- build a swing, a short swing with little moving parts. Like, but guess what? That's John Rahm's swing. And that's because, he, you know, he we found out with the, what I forgot what ailment he has with that. As oh, a, yeah, he's the got foot, a club, the foot, club, 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 the, the foot, the foot. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. his foot is the reason that his swing is the way yeah. it is. And it's like, yeah. well, that's just authentically his golf swing. You think about Bubba Watson never taking a, a golf lesson. Like nobody's going to be the next Bubba Watson. <laughs> Bubba Watson's one of one. And you think about the great players that are almost all one of ones. Well, the, the, the pressures, though, you know, the pressures on kids now, though, and there's so much information. I mean, there was a phase about 18 months ago where you go to a junior golf tournament and every kid in the range was giving it the old uh, George Genkis uh, knees separating. <laughs> that phase might flame out real, real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, getting back to your original point, your, your point and my point, you know, going back to Westwood and Michael Welsh. I mean, you know, how, how did that happen? Michael Welsh was the can't miss kid. He really was. He could not miss. And lo and behold, Michael Welsh is now working for the Lee Westwood Foundation, I think. I think he's a coach. He coaches kids in the in the Westwood Foundation. Really interesting guy. And it's a, a real, I always say, Stacey Lewis, I keep going back to the Stacey Lewis quotes. I love Stacey Lewis. She said that nobody needs to be the best when you're 15. You don't. You know, and everybody's in such a, you know, such a hurry these days. So you're right. Everybody's in such a hurry. So what do you start doing? You start chasing a swing. You start chasing this coach. You start chasing that coach. This technique, you know, instead of just sticking with what you've got and 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 looking at it the, you know, over the the medium to long term. And again, the problem with college, you know, a lot of coaches are they're they're all about the moment. I spoke to Pete Cowan about this once, and he's saying the problem with college golf in the states is it's about winning. I mean, if I'm a college coach, I'm desperate to win. If I don't win, I'm losing my job. I mean, you can understand it, but it's probably not the best. Probably not the best for the kids in their program mm-hmm. because, you know, that coach is just coaching you to win in the moment. If I'm a kid at college, I'm thinking, well, I want to be I want to be ready for when I'm 23 years old and, and trying to get on the PGA Tour. So I want my development to be time for that moment. But the coach, the coach has different priorities. I, anyway, it's, it's a, I think the long and short of it, Andy, it's a, it's a complicated world out there. And n- neither of us have to, we're not making it, so we don't have to worry about it. Well, I mean, now we're 15 minutes in. We haven't really talked about the Ryder oh. Cup. Then might be, <laughs> Sorry, you know, man. there's so much Ryder Cup content out there. This might be a good uh, departure for people. But we're doing our traditional five things. We do this before every major championship. We're extending it to the Ryder Cup. Uh, Loris has provided five things. I've provided. I've I've got five things ready to go. Well, this is now a sixth. I'm going to boot one out. But I'm going to pigeon tail. I'm going to tie it together with uh, what we were just talking about. Youth. I mean, this is the thing we've got. This U.S. team is. I think I saw uh, a chart. It's the youngest team. Yep. Europe is is very a very old team, and obviously this <laughs> is all based off of averages. So outliers like Westie pull that average up. But yeah, uh, you know the U.S. team is one of the is, is the youngest team I think that they've ever had, 
And what I find kind of most interesting about this in our discussion, what we talked about before is like, there are these guys that are on these, on this team that we are going to pencil in. And we're going to say, these, these are the next, you know, the next 10 Ryder cups or the next five Ryder cups. These are going to be the studs, but the reality and what we've learned with players like Brooks Kepka is the guys that are the best at age 22, 23, 24, aren't always the best at age 28. Brooks Kepka was on nobody's Ryder cup radar when he was 24. And now, you know, he is a uh, four-time major winner and seemingly will be a stalwart all the time. And obviously with the European guys, you got Victor Hovland, who's probably, you know, the brightest young player in the Euro corral. So youth is is definitely a story this year. And and I guess that ties together with Ryder Cup rookies, a term that I hate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wonder if this kind of stuff matters anymore. I, 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 I get it's. You know, say if I'm a if I'm a a twenty two year old American genius and I'm going to play in 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 Europe, I, I think it's youth doesn't really matter, and vice versa. Youth doesn't. I don't think it matters. I think it, uh, it, what matters is you know what experience do you have. So Victor, Ho- I'm sure Victor Hovland has played. I mean, he went to Oklahoma State. I don't. Is that Oklahoma State near? Yeah. Is it near uh, Whistling Straits? I'm, I'm not no. sure. I bet. All oh, right. Okay. But uh, you know. But you, you know, as he played enough. the golf course. No, oh, it's close enough. But you, I'm I, again. I, I don't think age really matters. I think the difference is five years between the two. But I mean, that's an average. Uh, if you look at the record records of again, I think European rookies tend to play a little bit better than American rookies. But again, that's more of a function of the results of the other of the Ryder Cups. I, I think it's uh, it's one of these subjects that again, it's a long four days before the Ryder Cup starts. I mean, we all get there on a Monday. You got Monday. You know, get four or five days before you get a, a golf ball hitting anger. So it's just stuff to talk about. Rookies is one of the things everybody talks about. But uh, you know what? I, I'm not sure it matters, Andy. Uh, you know, d- does it? I go back to Harrington's quote. My my favorite quote in all sports this year that I've heard, where he he said it. I believe what was that? The U.S. Open or maybe uh, I think it was the U.S. Open. Yeah, he it said, was. Yeah. Experience isn't all it's cracked up to be. With experience, you lose innocence. I think there's something big with the Ryder Cup because I think the rookies are the most excited to be there of all the players. We saw it with Brooks Kepka's quotes that were very apathetic, you know, and I think we see, we've seen it over the history. We saw Tiger and Phil spoke out vehemently about, you know, there's some angst about the Ryder Cup sometimes with these players that play a lot of times. They see how much money is being made and, and not a lot of money being made for them. Yeah. Um, so I think that it, a rookie is so excited to be there that there's almost a youthful exuberance that's an advantage. And then you go down and you look at the rookies. There's like, you know, there's so many rookies this year. But are we? Is Colin Morikawa, who's won two majors, no, a rookie? This is no, not a rookie. No, no, that was that was my point. I was trying to very inarticulately make. The only thing about the Harrington quote is, well, guess what? He's hardly. I mean, he's got. I think he's got a cut. He's got a uh, burnt with and he's got Hovland. Yeah, and, and he he's got it. Shane Lowry. Shane Lowry, oh, so, oh, yeah, Ryder Shane, Cup rookie. rookie. Well, that's a joke. The other thing, but, but you know, I guarantee you this, Andy. You know, he had three picks, right? And Garcia and Poulter were told long ago that they were going to play, and there's no way that Bernd Wisberger would have got a pick. No yeah. chance. No chance. That pick would have gone to if uh, Lowry had snuck in in the ninth spot. Uh, that pick would have gone to Justin Rose. So Harrington might be saying one thing, but he talking, he's talking on both sides of his mouth because, again, he's, I think, actually, it's quite interesting. That might say something 
you know, about what the Europeans think of experience and how important experience is and how a little store they put in this uh, puppy dog enthusiasm that you seem to be so enamored with. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing is uh, you, you had some choices. Like, they could have taken Rasmus uh, Hogard, who had no, been, yeah. you know, if that would have been your youth pick if they wanted to make a youth pick. But at the same time, I, I think, like, they're in a situation, the Euros have the advantage of, like, if they lose this one, it's not a big deal. If the yeah. Americans lose this one, it yeah. is it is a crisis. I mean, they, they haven't won on your they haven't won on European soil by the time Italy's played in thirty years, and it's I mean the the Euros have been picking off ones in America every so often. So it's I mean this is a this is a must win, and the Euros <laughs> get to like they can kind of nobody's critiquing the Euro way of do building a team. Like they could do it however they want because the 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 proof's been in the pudding recently. Now for a quick word about our uh, pro shop. Hey, you know this week we are doing a big print sale. We've got uh, photos of the course we're talking about, Whistling Straits. We've got photos of Sand Valley. We've got photos of Lawsonia. We've got photos of Bandon Dunes. You know, we've got a ton of stuff in there and we're doing a 20% off sale. So this is a great time to stock up and uh, get your office decorated, get uh, your man cave decorated, your, you know, wherever you might have prints or need prints. Uh, we're doing 20% off. Use the promo code RC2020 and it's at proshop.thefriedag.com and you can shop our print selection. We've, we've got a ton of of golf courses. I'm, I'm not sure what the total amount is, but we're getting more and more up there every day. So visit proshop.thefriedegg.com and use the promo code RC2020 for 20% off all print purchases this Ryder Cup week. Now back to Lawrence Donegan. Uh, did you see the Stricker print? I guess that's one of my talking points. But yeah. I, th- I was well, go really... into it. This is we're we're on from rookies. Well, I I I, uh, I was really struck by that opening press conference yesterday. Stricker looked like a guy who did not want to be there, and he was all, he was talking about this about this. Uh, uh, you know, I think that he said, I think the captaincy is a thankless job. Can you believe that? And then he went on. What was the other one? Uh, yeah, talking about being a captain, we get blamed if we lose, and the <laughs> and the players get all the credit if we win. Does that sound like a guy who's kind of motivated to be there and, and ready to motivate other people? In a way, you got to appreciate the authenticity oh, of yeah, it because it's so true. You know, it's it's going to be his fault. There are people are already throwing shots at, at Stricker. I saw Ben Coley was tweeting that like this seems like a guy that has no plan. You know, and obviously the the Tom Watson uh, situation uh, years ago. Where Paul McGinley just, you know, they everybody talked about how Paul McGinley just ran circles around Watson and everything was gut feel and there was no plan. I mean, I think this this kind of like is the overarching thing with Americans is in general is like it becomes a buddy system. This was one of my things is a buddy system versus a like, hey, let's put the best team together. The captain of the American team is not in a position of power. The players are the ones in a, on the American team that run the team. And JT and Spieth are playing together. That's that's yeah. that, that was known before. But, you know, when you think about it, and we did a podcast with Joe, Joseph Lemagna, who does really good data work. He talked about how, like, you want to put different players together. And it'd be really interesting with Spieth and Morikawa. you got two of the best approach players in the world, the two best approach players on either side. You know, I think you could put Rom in there as well. But 
wouldn't it be fun to watch those guys hit te- hit hit approach shots from Dustin Johnson or Brooke or Bryson DeChambeau's drives, like the two best drivers on the roster? Like that might be a really good pairing. But instead, you're going to put them with Justin Thomas, who's ki- who's can be a very good driver of the golf ball, but is a little erratic because they're buddies. It would be like the Warriors starting. Who do they have? Quinn Cook over Clay Thompson because Steph Curry's buddies with him. Our structure's falling apart, Andy. You're now you've jumped on to point seventeen somewhere else. I mean, we're uh, yeah, any, it's fine. Kind of, this is no, this is the point. It, this is the point of the five things, and, and they bleed into each other. <laughs> just going back to the Stricker thing, right? You know, having covered these from a Euros perspective over the years, it's uh, I can't get my head around it. Steve Stricker was playing and contending in a Champions Tour event on Sunday. It's like the week of the Ryder Cup, the week the whole thing starts. See, if the European captain had been involved in such a way, chaos would have ensued. There would have been there would have been a national inquiry into this stuff. It's absolutely extraordinary that he was playing and contending in a tournament on Sunday and then he rolls into town on Monday, gives a press conference. The main issue surrounding the American team, obviously the big feud is the one, but is Kepka pulled out the Tour Championship three weeks ago. Is he injured? He, so he gets asked and Stricker says, well, I haven't, I haven't seen him. I haven't seen him yet, but I, I believe think, he's I okay. I think he's here. <laughs> so what does that say about the level of uh, engagement and the level of uh, your know, planning, does you have a contingency plan? I, I, you know, if Brooks, you know, there's another three days to go. Brooks might injure himself again. But I, I was really struck by that predicate. I, I was like, oh my god, you know, this looks. Very, you're right. You brought it up, Tom. Uh, Tom Watson. I think there's a t- touch of the Tom Watsons about this. I mean, he's the he's the captain because the Ryder Cup's in Wisconsin. And he's from Wisconsin. That's like that's. Like- <laughs> <laughs> he's not the captain. Well, he has done a bunch of vice uh, captaincies, yeah. I guess. But he's, you know, the the kind of whole succession thing in European uh, team is really. I mean, it, w- it was chaotic back in the day. I mean, I remember when it was chaotic, but uh, it really has been honed into a fine-tuned machine at this stage. You know, he is. He, he asked about. Yeah, he started talking about cheeseheads and whatever. I, I, I was, I was surprised. I like uh, Stricker. He's a he seems like a really nice guy. Um, in my dealings with him, he's always been so helpful and polite, and you know, not terribly interesting. But I, I was, I was like, wow, because his game is—you look at him as a golfer, a very meticulous player, mm-hmm. you know, very tidy. And you would think, well, there's a guy who you know knows what he's at, knows knows what he's doing, and it's all kind of planned out. Actually, going back to, he's another guy for your slump. You should like him. He went through that yeah. terrible slump. Exactly. Yeah, well, so. he's a, he. I went to University of Illinois. He's a Illini great. So you know. But I think like one of the things is personality wise, right? You think about like the captains that have like the right personality and it's somebody that's thoughtful and planning, but not afraid to like speak up and say, this is the way things are going to be. And to me, and I, this goes without ever, you know, no personal connection. I don't, I don't know this, but Stricker just seems like a guy that kind of is more of a goat. Like he's a guy that can hang out with anybody, get along with everybody, but he's not going to be the guy that's going to be like, no, this is the way it is. And in a way, I think that's what you kind of need, especially for the American team is somebody that can listen, that can relate, that can communicate with these guys, which is where Watson really fell short. He didn't really communicate well. He didn't listen, but then also be like, but we're going to do it this way. Because yeah. this is how it makes sense, you know, versus the, you know, 
oh, we're just going to let the inmates run the asylum. And you <laughs> you might not get the most out of these teams. Like on paper, these players are are far superior to Europe. Yeah. And every year for recent times, that's been the case. But that advantage can get quickly because it's not a huge advantage. We're talking about golf advantage. Like we see it every year in the world match play. Like number 50 beats number 10. You know, and, and people are, oh, 50 over 10. Like, that's that's not a big deal because the margins are so small. If if you just work your team and your pairing smart, you can your analy- analytics can make up the disadvantage in talent really quickly in, in team golf. Yeah, the, the Europeans have understood that for a long time. It is all about that. They call, famously in the U, you know, the Great Britain cycling team had a guy called David uh, Bellsford, I think the guy's name was, and he, he was a legendary and turned British cycling into the greatest Olympic force ever. And his whole thing was about marginal gains. And it is the captaincy is a small thing, but it is, a, it is another marginal gain. Do you, do you know what? You ever heard uh, McGinley talking about uh, Bernhard Langer's captaincy in 2004? I mean, I thought if Stricker would be a, he would be a, like a Bernard Langer captaincy. But what he lacks that Langer had was just a kind of presence and a real respect. I mean, those European guys, that generation, McGinley, Montgomery, uh, all those guys back then, they all kind of, they so respected Langer. And he was a kind of quiet, not a guy who had a lot of kind of stage presence. But, but you know, McGinley was talking about, uh, I heard him on a podcast recently, talking about like, like the way Langer captained. And... Uh, a, it was very, very clever. He gave a, a particular anecdote that I won't, I won't repeat. But he basically, he was telling guys what club they were hitting on the par threes. Can you imagine Steve Stricker standing there telling Brooks Kepka or, or whoever, you know, don't hit that nine iron, hit a wedge because, I mean, that's not going to happen. So he is a kind of Bernard Langer type captain without the kind of, you know, extru- not, I'm sure he has the respect of, the, of, the, of his players. But, you know, in the sense that, Langer is revered by European golfers, absolutely revered, and I don't. I'm not sure Steve Stricker is, and that might be a problem for him. And he certainly isn't in the initial skirmishings. He certainly hasn't impressed me. I think he got so much clout in Ryder Cups because he was the guy that that had some success with Tiger. Yeah. Well, he was the only guy. That, yeah, he was the only guy that could, that Tiger liked to play with. And yeah. Was, you know, and I- yeah. And I think that's like where he doesn't, he didn't, you know, it's rare. He didn't win a major championship. He was a very good player, but I think that was like his biggest noteworthy Ryder cup thing was that he, he played well with tiger and that playing well with tiger is a lot different than putting together like pairings based off of like who, you know, like just because you got like, that's, that's the merit of his captaincy. Yeah. The uh, and you are right about the buddies. I, I, you know, I saw Scott Scheffler was on did his press conference this morning. He was talking about, oh yeah, well analytics and stats have been used, but you know, to to determine pairings. And I'm thinking, yeah, maybe in your case, uh, Scotty, but you know, I'll believe it when JT and Spieth don't play together. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that'll be the tell whether or not uh, maybe it'll surprise us all. And I think like analytically, those two probably match up pretty well. But you know, Spieth is a guy that I think that you should be. That's that's a that's a guy that's so good at everything except for driving the golf ball yeah. that he should be one that should be explored and used in a variety of different ways. Like that's that's a guy that's a malleable piece that doesn't necessarily need you don't need to lock these pairings in. You know, we've seen success with people that lock pairings in, but you can play with somebody different in foursomes than four ball. That's where I think speed's so valuable is in foursomes. 
that's where he's yeah. a valuable chess piece. And JT, you know, he played really well at the players, but he hasn't had that good of a year. And, and, and I think that's that's something that, like, he's not in the best form. I don't know if you're making the U.S. team and you've got, you know, four or five guys that are going to play four to five sessions if JT's one of those guys. Uh, yeah, I, I, you're right about Spieth. But I, I, you know, great film, by the way. I watched the film last night uh, on uh, Wesley Straits. I, I, I can't remember. The par threes are are the odd numbers or even numbers or are they mixed up? I, I, I can't uh, remember. So they got, they've got whole three, seven, 12 and 17. So three of the four par threes. So, so yeah, Spieth in the foursomes is awesome, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he, he plays the odd holes. You know, he, he tees off on the odd holes. Mm-hmm. So he gets three of the par threes. And then he's hitting, he's hitting the approaches into nine other holes. So he's basically hitting approach shots into 12 holes. You know, what, what an advantage that is. Well, and then also think about having him hit approach shots on two uh, the the par five after Bryson hits a tee shot or DJ, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. having him hit approach shot there, eight's a five hundred yard par four, so he's on the evens there hitting approaches. You know, five is, is a par par five, but, but you you'd want to you'd want to get that. But you know, you you just there's a lot of things. Like the other thing is like the drivable par fours. There's drivable par fours out there. Six, ten, and fourteen are conceivably drivable. So you compare. Spieth with Bryson, who could conceivably drive three of the par fours on even holes, and then you get Spieth hitting approach shots on all of them. And it's not like Bryson is a slouch when it comes to iron play either. The uh, the other thing is, you know, Spieth hits a crooked drive. You know, somebody moves up uh, into around the green, and we'll maybe come on to this talking about the golf course. You know, you get into fringes and the approaches, and you know, there's not many. Kind of bog standard chips on that golf course. So who do you want hitting the third shot? You know, you want Spieth hitting the third shot because he's got a great imagination and and that, that kind of stuff. I mean, he is a perfect, absolutely perfect uh, foursomes partner. You'd play him in both four balls and and obviously singles. I mean, he he would be the one American guy who'd play five times. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it, and I just that's where I think it's short sighted to just lock him in. You know, a lot of Patrick Reed's uh, legacy as a Ryder Cup partner came from Jordan playing with Jordan Speed. Yeah, at Glen Eagles. Uh the uh actually just talking I, I was looking at some stats this morning just talking about you know my my Keller partner Tom Dunn was telling me he knows that Whistling Straits really well and he was talking about these little pitch shots that are in and around the green. Mm-hmm. You know because of the shaping it's very curious. He, there's not many flat sharp. lies. It's, it's super yeah, sharp. It's, yeah. So Reed I mean who's a great scrambler? Who's one of the best scramblers in the game? Patrick Reed. You know, so they've obviously they just didn't want to take him because he wasn't a buddy. But you know, statistically, you might think, well, I think it was. Ti- I think it was time for the Captain America <laughs> era to end. Just uh, based on, I, I, as an American, after going through Paris and and what he did in Australia, it, yeah. it was time for it to be over. Time for a change. No, no, but you know what I mean. We'll just get back to the uh, you know the lack of. Uh, Attention to detail that that might be the case of the American team. You know, you could make a strong t- statistical case, allying statistics and the golf course setup to make the case for Reed being included. But there you go. Well, I I I, I hate to just keep uh, throwing mine out there, but we'll get. We're talking about statistics, course fit. Obviously, everybody's been talking about distance being a huge yeah. advantage. I don't necessarily, I, I think it is a huge, it's a huge advantage everywhere. Like it, distance is, you know, and obviously this comes from da- data golf, 
has a coarse fit tool and it, it skews to distance here. But that being said, if you go look at like PGA Championship leaderboards, there is a, a very good mix of players on the board. You have long hitters. Jason Day, obviously, in the most recent one, really overpowered the golf course and, and shot 20 under. But then you have Jordan, uh, Jordan Spieth and Brendan Grace and Justin Rose. And, and Rose was long. He wasn't that long. But Brendan Grace and Jordan Spieth have never been confused with being long. They're great approach players. And, and same with Justin Rose. He's a great approach player. So I think what you see, and this is the case with so many of Dye's golf courses, and especially because of his green designs, and I think Whistling Straits has some of his most eccentric greens. Like, they, they have a lot of slopes, little sections. Approach play is still going to be king, and where the distance is a huge advantage, but if you miss the fairways because of the shaping that we, we were just talking about around the greens, yep. the same goes for off the fairway. Like, a missed fairway at Whistling Straits carries a huge penalty if you miss the corridor. Like, obviously, you have the short rough that it, the, the fairways are way more narrow than they should be. You know, it should all be fairway there. But once you get off that corridor, just like Kiowa Island, there's a huge associated penalty for missing that. And we saw Bombers struggle at Kiowa. It was, I think it's a similar vein of Aaron Hills where we saw like Bombers played well, but the Bombers that hit the ball straight that week played well. Yeah. It's not just a distance wins all thing. You still have to hit it into the corridor. The, I, I think, uh, I mean, I take, take all of those points on board. You're, de you're dead, right? Martin Keimer wasn't a long hitter, by the no. way. He wasn't a long hitter. Uh, not, in fact, he had he won there hitting a tennis. Darren long. Clark wasn't. Do you know what though? I, I think that the golf course is a neutral venue. I, yes. I think it's kind of neutral, and but most of that is comes down to familiar familiarity because none of these guys have played this golf course. Now that you you go to the French, and that's the genius of European venues, right? Because all the guys have played all these golf courses. Yes, I mean they've, ever, they've been going to Le Golf National for twenty years. I mean, I caddied at Le Golf National in nineteen ninety six. So that's how far back it goes. The uh, the big looking ahead to twenty twenty three. That's a new golf course. The, the, the Americans might have a chance there because the European players will not have seen that golf course. Nobody nobody will go. Well, they'll go the year of the Ryder Cup, I guess. But none of the European players will, will have seen that golf course. Similarly here, nobody's seen this golf course. You know, you can look back at I mean, what's the point in looking back at the PGA Championship two thousand fifteen. I mean, it doesn't have. I mean, I guess it tells us what kind of player prevails here. But it doesn't really doesn't tell us much about these particular players and how they play there. Again, nobody nobody knows the golf course. So once again, I mean, it happened in 2012 in Medina. The way that the course set up was a kind of neutral setup. I mean, by choosing this golf course, the PGA of America have given Europe a more of a chance of actually winning. Again, it's one of those little marginal gains. I think the other thing with that is that the world rankings are determined by who plays stroke play the best. And match play is a different beast. Totally. And, and I think one of the things with match play is that the guy you don't want to face in match play isn't, necess isn't necessarily like the guy that wins three times a year and then has a bunch of missed cuts. It's the guy that finishes like T20, T30 every week is a really hard guy to play in match play because you know that they play about the same level every time they go out. And I think, you know, I think this gets lost a little like, you know, what you get rewarded for in, on the PGA Tour, even the European Tour, or the uh, in, in definitely in the OWGR, is your really good finishes. There's no negative penalty for missed cuts. 
And when you play poorly in match play, you get beat down. You yeah. you just lose, right? And the the guys that just shoot 68, maybe they don't shoot 65. Like you you might get beat, but like that that steady golfer is one of the things that that is really tough. And you look at like the guys who's played really well, like Molinari and Fleetwood are, you know, Fleetwood's playing some of the worst golf that we've seen in the last five years. But, you know, like those two guys are steady golfers. They're very consistent, reliable. Stenson Rose, like those parents, those are really, really consistent golfers. Their best might not be as good as Dustin, uh, Dustin Johnson, who's a very steady. I'd say he's one of the most steady golfers. Justin Thomas would be a good comp. Like their yeah. best isn't as good as Justin Thomas's best, but they might be a little bit steadier. Yeah. That, again, I'm not going to say anything original here, but having, I, me and my kid went to the, to the UK for the summer. He was playing at all these kind of big um, junior amateur events. And it is amazing the amount of match play that's played over there. I, I, I don't care. You know, we all play, obviously we play match play at home, but over there, every single elite junior amateur event is, is uh, 36 holes, uh, stroke play, top 64 guys, and then you go at it. And it's uh, it's two two rounds a day, you know. Niall, my kid or our kid rather, he played in the Scottish Men's Amateur, right? So made the cut in a number, number sixty seed, and then you get the next day, and it's thirty six holes. You get through that, and it's thirty six holes the next day, and it's just a, it's just a different. It's so interesting. It's such a different game, and yes. it's amazing. It's amazing, and you're dead right. You know. The whole thing, and obviously, I have no experience of elite amateur golf. He's Niall's only sixteen, so you speak to guys who've been through the system, and the whole thing they say, "Don't." This speaks to your point. Don't give holes away. Don't give holes away. You know, oh, great if you make a birdie, but do not just give a hole away. And this speaks to that. You know, the guy who has the narrow band of uh, performance. You know, shoots birdies and never shoots worse than a bogey has got a distinct advantage over the guy who's hitting sh- shooting eagles and double bogeys. I, I mean, it really is. And those guys who who operate within the narrow band of performance tend to do... Re- I mean, look at Luke Donalds. Look at Luke Donalds ride a cup record. It's phenomenal. Now, there's a guy that's not going to stand in the first tee and blow you away. You know, just looking at him, you think, well, he's you know he doesn't have much physical presence. Oh, he doesn't hit it that far. But my goodness... I mean, he's, there's a guy who 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 about about by the rule. Don't don't give holes away. What a Ryder Cup player he's been. Yeah, I I completely agree. It's like it's different. It's a different format. Yeah, and it's one that the U.S. doesn't play. Like whether or not you it, oh it doesn't matter. It does matter. It it's so much different. I you know, I played you know when I was playing amateur golf, I played a lot of stroke play. But then, you know, some of our championships in the state were match play. And when you get into match play, it was so much different. Like, you, you feel like a fish out of water. And But so much more fun. It's oh, yeah. absolutely phenomenal. I, again, I don't want to go on about this, but uh, Scottish Men's Amateur was played at this golf course called Murker. I swear to God, Andy, you would look it up. It's a magnificent golf course. And it's uh, it's one of these t- traditional links that you, you go... D- you go downwind for the first few, you know, first nine. And so now I was playing this kid. He played, plays at East Tennessee. Uh, this kid couldn't play in the wind. He couldn't play heading into the wind. And Niles four up at the turn. And you're thinking, oh, this kid, this is this is easy. And then downwind, it's down. And the guy is a phenomenal player. And it goes to the last hole. 
So, you know, that whole kind of... So you're never out of it in in match play. It's such a... You know, if you're four shots behind a guy at the turn and stroke play, you're done. You're not coming back. You know, that elite level, you're not coming back. But in, in match play, it's... There's always that little chance, and it's you know that's it's so intriguing, especially you're in the middle of it. For these guys, it must be phenomenal. The thing that happens when you when you're uncomfortable, and this this is whether you know golf courses make you uncomfortable, situations make you uncomfortable, and one of the things format match play is a different format. It makes you uncomfortable if you're used to playing stroke play because you're not used to factoring in what your opponent's doing. Like it makes you nervy. Like it's you're a hundred yards away. And all of a sudden you might be thinking about like, I just have to hit this on the green. That's not the way you think in stroke play. You're thinking about hitting it close. Like, yeah. you know, in whatever it does, it makes you uncomfortable. And that's the thing that I think people overlook is like, Oh, the U S has just played bad. Maybe they've just been uncomfortable. And that, I don't think there's anything they've done anything uh, in the last, three years that would make them more comfortable than they were at like, like golf national. And I think that's like the, the thing that I'm kind of looking at. What's your next thing? Let's, let's get to some of yours here. Uh, well, uh, oh, this is really intriguing to me actually is the, uh, is the succession. I mean, I know it's nothing to do with the golf, but this, you know, this, you know, who's the next European captains, because this is always, this has been an issue. We talk about the smooth process of European captaincy mm-hmm. through the years but this, this has always been looming. That this generation, I mean, if you look at it, uh, uh, mid forties to high forties, who have you got? You've got or forty to forty eight, whatever. You've got Rose, you've got Pooler, you've got Stenson, Donald. you've got Donald, you've got uh, Westy. Uh, Westwood, you've got uh, there's a couple more. Uh, McDowell, McDowell, Graham McDowell was another one. Uh, Donaldson, so, uh, Jimmy Donaldson. <laughs> Hey, don't knock Jamie Donaldson. A fine performance at Glen Eagles, by the way. I, I, well, he played great at Wentworth uh, last week. Or two oh yeah, weeks that, ago there you too. go. But but you, you know, do you can do the maths or math as you would say? The uh, there's there's four spots and there's seven or eight guys. Uh, so that's going Sergio to be even. Oh yeah, of course I forgot about Sergio. He's going to so, be a captain one year. That might be the most. Is. That might be when the Euro ter- team turns into the American team. <laughs> But you know, work it out. You know, I, I, but the gossip is. Although I saw Westwood, uh, you know, it's long been believed that Westwood would step in in twenty twenty three in Italy. But you know, he was talking the other day. Well, I might be a player in twenty twenty three. So there's, <laughs> I look at that quotes like that. And I think, oh, well, there's, he's working an angle. There's something going on because I, I was speaking to a, a, quite a prominent agent in the European Tour the other day, and he was. This is the captaincy is worth a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money. I I seen well, what's sponsorships. Oh, and and Paul McGinley appearance fees, appearance fees. Paul McGinley is now a, a, a quote unquote motivational speaker. I mean, he has parlayed, I mean, good on him. He has parlayed his 2014 captaincy and a career as a motivational speaker. He's a lecturer at some posh university in London. He uh, he's now the uh, the lead, you were talking about. Uh, I think before we came on, but who 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 gets to co- who's a lead commentator? So Paul McGinley is the lead analyst on Sky now. You know, and that, you know, you can't tell me that he's not the lead analyst on Sky because uh, it's all because he was a very, very successful Ryder Cup captain. So I asked this, this agent, you know, what do you think it's worth, you know, to a guy like McGinley? And he said, you know, five million. Mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, so the kind of low, the, the kind of estimate low range is, you know, around about a million. Somebody like Bjorn, who's you know not got much of a personality, not very well liked, uh, but you know, can go up to five, six, seven. I mean, there's a lot of money. So these guys, well, it essentially gives you a two year relevance. Yes, uh, that you wouldn't otherwise have. You 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 can sell sponsorships off of that. You can book. Like all of a sudden you're a hot commodity for public speaking. Like that's the thing I always think about. Like the best thing that the top ten players in the world have going for them is their ability to just generate capital Monday through Wednesday, you know, of weeks. Is that they get paid to go just show up for an hour somewhere. They get paid a lot of money to do that. And that's what happens when you're the Ryder Cup captain. You're a big draw. Yeah. And so Again, getting back to the point, you know, so that's a, a there's a quite a financial incentive to be to be a Ryder Cup captain, you know. So there's going to be a lots and lots of jockeying, and all the the coming candidates are all vice captains this week. So it'll be interesting to see. You, you know, you'd have to look very closely because these guys are cute enough not to you know stick their neck above the parapet. But uh, it'll be you know who's cute enough to you know just get their nose in there and you know you'll Play get some kind right. of. A little bit of a like a, a, a we're gonna be watching for politics. A little bit, but yeah, it's got. You know what it's going to be like? Somebody said it to me this morning. The next season of uh, Succession. This could yeah. be. This could be come early. This right. The Succession for the Ryder Cup well, captaincy. Stenson could be in that mix too. Of course, well, of course. Uh, well, absolutely. Um, uh, twenty. Well, the one. Well, the uh, the alleged succession is is Westwood twenty three. Poulter at Bethpage in 20... Can you imagine? Oh, God. Poulter against Mickelson. That will be absolutely phenomenal. What One of my favorite stories is uh, Ogilvy talking about 06 uh, Wingfoot, and, he, and he, oh, he played with Poulter, and he's like, the guy showed up in all pink in New York. <laughs> We're all pink. In New York for a final <laughs> round of a U.S. Open, like you know, it, 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 he just, I, I just, him in New York is just dynamite. It's going to be uh, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Port. It's interesting. You know, Porter's a guy who can basically name his date. I think he's a guy. You know, a lot of the other guys. You know, it's all about you know jockeying and you know politics. But Porter is so synonymous with the Ryder Cup. I mean, he's such good market value. You know, when you. When the European Tour picks its cap, it's a very it's, it makes a, the papacy look like a, you know an open book. The you know, how you the, the players committee ostensibly picks the captain, but goodness knows what goes into that mix. It's so interesting. But Poulter is just you know he's a because if I'm the European Tour marketing department and I'm looking at that, you got to remember the Ryder Cup is massively important to the European Tour's finances. So if I'm looking at New York, you got to pick Poulter. You just got to pick Poulter because it's just pure box office, isn't it? Yeah, but then after that it gets very murky. I can't remember where it is in twenty seven. It's it's over here again. You'd have to somebody like Garcia, who similar to Harrington has a kind of profile in the United States. Yeah, so that might work. But then the interesting one after that, you know, you get to Ireland. I think in twenty nine, you know, McDowell will be very much angling for that. Uh, what if we got a what if we got a Tiger Sergio captaincy? Oh, how good would that be? That would be. Oh my goodness! That would go. That'd be right up there with Phil uh, Poulter. Oh, Phil! Oh, that would be too absolute. Just see if Sergio crackers. can fi- finally get his his win against you know. Maybe he could go out and Tweety Bird Yellow. 
Oh, that would be uh, oh, very good. That's good. That's good institutional knowledge, Andy. Well done. Yeah. So yeah. So that's yeah. So that's that's something interesting for me. I, I I'm always I'm kind of. You said you asked me to send a list. And I sent a list. And I looked at it after. Because so, this is all about politics and intrigue. I love all that stuff. I mean, it just adds. You know, having covered multiple Ryder Cups, as I said before, that that you know the run up. These are the the longest four days in in golf golf media. It is absolutely torture because uh, there's nothing to write about and no access. You get absolutely no access. That's what I've been. I'm going up there this afternoon, and I've been oh uh, I've been like brainstorming really kind of like off the wall ideas, like you know what can I do that's a little different because everybody's everybody's doing the same stuff. That's simply because it's so tightly controlled, and the players love it. I mean, I spoke to a couple of players; they just love it. This kind of laughing, they kind of laugh about it, you know. Because everybody's got their nose pressed against the window and no idea what's happening and they, they don't have to deal. I, I was looking at the, the media schedule this morning. It's 15 minutes. It's hilarious. You know, so a player is, a couple of players or two or three players are wheeled in at the same time and it's 15 minutes. It's two, basically two questions of absolute, you know, complete fluff. You got to remember that the, the press officer will, will pick a couple, you know, pick somebody who, They'll know won't ask a, a kind of a troublesome question, so you basically have no chance of causing trouble. And, and this is one of the other things I, I sent it to you. One of my five points is the Ryder Cups. Keep an eye, keep an eye out for it this week. These days in the right because the, especially the European or the British press have uh, have no access. They just get up to making mischief. You know they just try their hard, hardest to concoct some kind of scandal or some. I mean, you go back through the years. I wrote them down. Uh, 2004 was the Paul Casey. Remember this one, Paul Casey, I properly hate Americans, yeah. which was a quote that was totally taken out of context yeah. in another interview that happened six weeks before the Ryder Cup and it was wheeled out the week of the Ryder Cup and caused this great sensation. Paul, I read an interview with Casey the other day and he said, I almost gave up golf. <laughs> I almost gave up golf because of it, which is just crazy. Then you fast forward... Uh, uh, 2006, I, I don't know if you remember, people might forget, it was a magazine called The Dubliner. <laughs> had uh, It was a really, it was like, a you know, a what's on in this week in Dublin type of magazine. And they superimposed Elon Nordegren's head on the photograph of a of a stripper or something. And that was, uh, that caused, actually, that magazine went out of business. Oh, they, ended up, they ended up paying Elon and Tiger an absolute fortune. It's the wrong were, guy to do that to. Oh, it was. Yeah, especially with given the friends that Tiger has. Yeah. I mean, he's got J.P. McManus on his side in Ireland. J.P. McManus is uh, is not a boy you want to get on the wrong side of if, if you're the Dubliner magazine. I could go on and on. There were so many of them. It was just absolutely fantastic. Remember Danny Willett's brother? Yeah. Remember oh, the, oh. I can't forget that. <laughs> you know, the, the aspiring novelist. That was, that was another one, 2016. Oh, there was a the, my favourite one because the weather at uh, Celtic Manor in 2010 was brutal. There was and that was there was a couple of scandals. There was the scandal of the US team's uh, waterproofs. Remember the waterproofs, <laughs> the leaking waterproofs. Yeah, oh. yeah. Corey Pavin, Corey Pavin's <laughs> wife wanted. They made changes to the the water. They wanted. She made them embroider. They they even said they warned her. They said. Hey, if you do this, the waterproof might not work. And she said, "Well, we're doing it." So that well, that ended up with Corey Pay or whoever from the PJ running into the pro shop at, at Celtic Manor, buying up all the waterproofs, <laughs> which is great. And the other one was a 
the provenance of this scandal was very dubious. It was uh, Rory had said somewhere a couple of weeks before a tiger's been injured and he might not be ready for this Ryder Cup. And then it filtered through to the press room on a, on a cold and wet and storyless Wednesday afternoon that a locker room attendant may or may not have overheard Tiger saying to Rory, "Be careful what you wish for." I.e., be, you know, you don't want to play me. Be, you know, if you want to play me, be careful what you wish for. Anyway, this was blown into this incredible back page. It was brilliant. It was such fun, but it really affected Rory. If you remember, you go back the next day, the European team all appeared on the first tee at practice with Rory wigs on and they all had their arms around Rory. And it was, uh, it was, again, purely a function of no access for the media, no stories, everything's so tightly controlled that you can, everybody goes off the reservation, I guess, and just starts. Yeah. I'm not saying make, making stuff up, but, it, you know, it, it was uh, whipping stuff up would be a better way to do it. I wonder what it'll be this week. Yeah, there'll be something. There'll be something. It's uh, it, you know, Bryson's surely gonna do something. You know, I I saw that he he his comments this morning were along the lines of the only reason I'm talking to media is because I don't want to get fined. Really? Yeah. There was also I saw a picture this morning of uh of Bryson and Brooks talking to to each other on the range, but I thought again as one of the world's leading body language experts, I didn't think it looked particularly friendly. Yeah. I mean, Brooks, uh, not to go too, too deeply, Brooks, Brooks looked slightly closed off, arms tightly folded, slightly turned away from... You see, this is the kind of stuff we get into yeah, when you have nothing you get, to write about. You don't get... There's only, there's only 24 guys as opposed to 160 or whatever at the US Open, say. And uh, yeah, there's nothing to... You know, that's the thing. I, I We've got some oddball ideas for some for some content just because there's you know you're not you're not getting your usual tournament uh fix of that many people at a golf course it's it's just so many so fewer amount of bodies and storylines i'd say i wonder what uh i guess oh this is once the the, the the competition starts it'd be interesting to see what happens with having you know things are going well with europe i think uh it, it'll be fine you know, it'll be all be smooth sailing. But you know, things go a bit a bit south for Harrington early. You know, but he he's an interesting guy. I, I don't if you had him on your podcast. We had no. if you don't You oh, had him on please. yours. He's a tinkerer. That's why I was saying you're you're bagging on Stricker playing in South Dakota. <laughs> you can't tell me that Harrington's not working on stuff on the range himself. Yeah, the only <laughs> Yeah, the only thing I think there's enough people around Harrington to tie him down. Yeah. I, I mean I think Harrington's peers Harrington's an interesting cat, I'll tell you that. He is, uh, with the press guys, he's amazing. I swear to God, he is so, well, you've heard him on podcasts and all, he's, he's so, he'll give so much of himself and he gives a lot, he gives a lot away actually. But with his peers, especially when he was at his peak, he wasn't a very clubbable guy. I mean, the Irish guys all kind of stick together, they go for dinner, so he's part of that set. But you know what, he was an elite player and he was not at all clubbable as, a, as an elite player. So I mean, there's not a huge reserve of goodwill. There is with the media, but not perhaps so much with with players. So it'll be it'll be interesting. I mean, usually Team Europe, that European team is very tight. Nothing leaks out, but nothing, absolutely nothing. If you go back to 2008, that Faldo captaincy was an absolute shit show. <laughs> I mean, it was a disaster. But I mean, I sat in press conferences, Andy, and these players who I subsequently found, we all subsequently find out were raging at Faldo and they were they were going after journalists who were criticising Faldo. 
know, they stuck by Faldo so tightly, even though they hated him or hated what he was doing as a captain. I, I it's just a little wonder... bit different than American players, what they do and they don't. <laughs> well, could you, could you, ah, oh, so, well, let's not get into that. Two, yeah. But that, I, I, the, the post defeat press conference with Faldo was, was astonishing. Uh, uh, Jose Maria Lathwell, who was his vice captain, basically wanted to come down. It was a great, one of the most established and well-respected British terms, a guy called Paul Hayward asked a question. And I swear to God, I thought uh, Lathwell was going to come off the podium and deck the guy. I mean, they really, really stuck together. I just wonder, I mean, it's a different era now, aren't it? I mean, everything is so, there's so many sources of information. and Social media. Know, yeah, and, you know, Player A might say to a friend who might say to a friend and then lo and behold, the fourth friend in the food chain tweets out something. So I would be interested to see what happens if uh, if it goes south for Harrington early. Um, as I say, you know, it was never the most clovable. Uh, and he, you know, the players like him, but they do think he's a bit of an oddball. I mean, that's, I mean, let's face it. Let's uh, let's talk about European team. We, you're, oh my God. We're, uh, you know... We've talked about the U.S. team a little bit. Let's talk about the European team this year. I think my case for the European team is that they, you know, we've talked about it a little bit with the match play and the margins and the pairings. Yep. I think one of the best cases is that they have Rory McIlroy and John Rahm. And John Rahm is by far the best player in the world, you know, right now. Mr. Cut of the Fortnite Championship last week, Andy. The Fortnite Mr. Championship. The Fortnite was that what it's called? I can't remember. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, it's a joke. Okay. Yeah, he, uh, him, and Rory led the PGA Tour in birdie average. Birdie average is a very good thing for match play, especially you know where you have partners and and different things. You want guys that make birdies. Um, John Rahm could play five matches. He's the best yeah. player in the world. They could conceivably go four and one. You know, you know that if that's the case, if he goes four and one. Or five and zero, or four zero zero and one. It all of a sudden becomes very hard for the United States to win the Ryder Cup, and that's I think the thing is if John Rahm has a good week, John Rahm and Rory have good weeks, the U.S. team is not going to win the Ryder Cup. Well, that's true, but you can't necessarily. Is Rory going to have a good week? What's his Ryder Cup record? I think it's is it, is it eleven and nine. I don't I don't know. It's not a great. I mean, it's I mean, it's, it's obviously it's a winning record, but it's not exactly Luke Donald, for instance. Ram, yeah, I think the story was that Ram wasn't feeling quite well last week at Silverado. So hopefully he's he seems to have made a miraculous recovery in the photographs this morning. Yeah, yeah, right. But if those two play well, then that that kind of locks it off essentially. If Rory and Ram show up and play their absolute best, I mean, who, you know, that lock, you're right, it locks it off. But similarly, you could say the same for the United States if Bryson and Spieth. Yeah, come along and have have great weeks, which both are very capable of doing. But from a European perspective, I would just be worried about. There's a lot of players who are not in not in exactly the best kind of form. They're coming in. I mean, Terrell Hatton missed a cut at Wentworth last week, didn't he? Played bad at every major. You know, and he won at Wentworth last year. So, I mean, he's he's in the team on the basis of his form, not this year, or certainly not in the last half of this year. So he's playing bad. Fitzpatrick again, tied twentieth at Wentworth. Missed a cut at the Italian Open, flamed out at the uh, flamed out the FedEx Cup. I think he, he did. He make the cut at Liberty National. I don't know. Was there a cut? I can't even remember. Yeah, he didn't make it to Eastlake. Oh no, he didn't. No, he, he only made it through one playoff. Mm-hmm. He he, uh, he got he played uh, the no, uh, the the Northern Trust, and that was him, one and done. So he's not playing great. So there's three. Westy's not playing great. 
No, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Westy, Westy made it based off of how he played it at the players in Bay Hill, really. So you've got, so you've got Hatton, Fleetwood, uh, you know, only one top ten finish. I mean, he didn't even make his card on on. I mean, he must have some kind of way of keeping his card, but he didn't make the top one twenty five. I don't think in the PGA Two this year. He made seventeen cuts, but only one top ten. That is, uh, a that's very surprising. You have to say because you think him coming here and you think, well, a ball striker like that would do really well. So, <laughs> well, you look at you look at like where Hatton started the year tenth in the OWGR. He's nineteenth now. You know that's a significant drop. Fitzpatrick sixteenth to twenty seventh, and then you go to Fleetwood seventeenth to thirty seventh. You know that's yeah. that's not the type of trends you want to go. But now on the flip side, if you want to play devil's advocate there a little bit, Shane Lowry's playing very very good golf. Yeah, Sergio is playing exceptional golf probably the best golf we've seen since he won the masters out of him Poulter's playing well as well isn't he yeah i think he's playing he's playing fine it doesn't i i think like Poulter's got enough uh clout at this point that we just you know there's Ryder cup Poulter and match play Poulter because he plays well at wgc every year you know the match play tournament and so i think there's a little bit of both uh going both ways and i think the same for the europe or for the u.s like you've got morikawa's not playing great right now who else that isn't playing, you know, exceptional. Like DJ hasn't been great this whole year. Like what, you know, Brooks, who knows what you're getting out of Brooks. Bryson is training to be a long drive guy. Isn't that just, can you, again, talking about, this would be another scandal back home. If this, if, if Bryson was a European and he spent the last two weeks training for an event next week before the right, people would be, people's heads would explode. It's just insane. You can't tell me that you stand on the, you stand on the range swinging the club as hard as you can, and that is in any way preparation for a Ryder Cup. That just isn't. Yeah. You, you know, you're you're you might be training your speed skills, but you're you're destroying every other skill. Well, it's just like got to be hard to go back to playing real golf after doing well, that. Like, yeah, I think you might make you better in six months. You know, there's a conceivable argument to be made that in in the you know in three months time he's a better golfer because he's got speed and he's reined it back into like playing competitive golf but this guy's training for long drive i think he cares more about the long drive than he cares about about the Ryder cup you know and i think that's honestly he might care more at this point he might care more about being one of the best long drive players than being one of the best pga tour players that's the wild thing about what's going on with bryson right now it's it's not after after what he did at Wingfoot and the way he dismantled that golf course, it seems like he's kind of taken a step back because he's continued to try. Like at that point, it seemed like with what he did at Detroit, what he did at Wingfoot, he had proven that he was right. But he's continued to push himself, and that was that's always been the concern: is that he's not content. And Tiger is fell you know victim to the same thing. Yeah, is that just like you get bored? Yes. They keep searching for that extra, and this is why golf is so hard. Like, right? Is you keep searching for that magic bullet, whereas Bryson might just be more interested in long drive. And I, you know, like to a certain extent, you can't really fall. Like, he just might like that more. Yeah. The uh, by the way, while we're on the subject, well, you know what really bugs me? Somebody did it this morning. Posted a picture of, uh, and Bryson obviously posed for it. Picture of Bryson's calluses, and I was looking at it and I'm thinking, yeah, okay, go take a look at Alex Noren's calluses. Yeah. 
just Google just Alex out, Noren. Out of, out of context, like I mean, I mean, I swear to God, I mean, Alex Noren's hands do not look like hands. But anyway, that's a he would have been a good thing. pick, I think, for the writer. He's been playing so well. Yeah, he's a great. He, what again? One of these guys. What a career he's had. Mm-hmm. You know, just the longevity is actually more and more. Andy, I'm into guys like. Uh, Longevity is a brilliant talent. I'm going to call it a talent in golf. Look at Rod Pampling. Rod Pampling won on the PG Tour at the age of 48, and then he won on the Champions. And then he wasn't. They weren't letting him into the Bay Hill. That's the thing. Past champion, only past champion, not getting into Bay Hill. He was disrespected. Yeah, disrespect. Yeah, Pamps. I see my buddy coaches Pamps, so I'm slightly biased towards Pamps. But uh, you know. Noren's another one of these guys. Westy, we start. Maybe we should end with Westy. You're just talking about longevity and what a what an admirable thing it is, and how do guys attain it? It's so interesting. As a Westy fan, I I'm very very nervous about this Ryder Cup <laughs> after what we saw at Hazeltine. You know that that was you know there's the low early in Westy's career, and I I think Hazeltine might have been the low. <laughs> of his late career, those putts coming down the stretch. I mean, he uh, gave that match away at Hazeltine. He did, he couldn't hit the hole from three feet the last, you know, coming down those matches. I uh, I haven't I haven't looked up his recent form. Uh, so I he's don't. Been, I, I, he's been just he's been Westy, which is like you know, late late career Westy when he's not you know playing great. But it, he's a guy that can flip the switch. And like when you talk about who you'd love to play alternate shot with. I think like outside of short putts, like Westy, you you know what you're getting from him. He's going to hit it good. He's not the best scrambler, but like that being reliable T to green is, is really valuable for, uh, for the, uh, I'm just looking, he's got a terrible record in singles. Awful. One, three. Oh yeah. I wonder what, what's that all about? I think it's, I think it's the short putting. It's hard to win (laughs) matches when you don't make four footers. The, uh, yeah, yeah, right about his foursomes, a great foursomes player. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what it comes down to, Andy? This is, I've, you know, I've talked myself into Europe just about nicking this. I don't know if I've given that away. Oh, yeah, give early. us your prediction. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be close. I think it is going to be close, but I, I think it, I, I'm not, again, not, nothing original, but the US are, are su- superior talent. There's no question. I think, I, I, what's the average, just, the great Justin Ray, What the average world ranking of the American like team nine. is 8.9. And Europe has one player in the top 20 in the world rankings. Is it one in the top 20? I think it's one. Anyway, it's John Rahm, or it might be the top 10. I got, it might be the top they 10. Got t- they got Rory Rory and Rahm in the top 15. Right, okay. And Hovland, um, and Hovland. They got three in uh, the top 10. Right, okay. One European in the top 10. Let's leave it at that, right? See, the Justin Ray stats, right? My stats wrong, so that's typical. So there is that. That's I think that's America's or the United States' only chance, really, is just superior talent. I mean, that's a pretty good chance. <laughs> But see everything else, all the intangibles. All no, they're not intangibles anymore. It is you know stats, analysis. I'm sure the Yanks are doing it, but I'm sure they're not doing it, and will not stick to it. We've talked about this to the extent that the Europeans will. That is sacrosanct. The most important guy in the European team in 2018 was Robert Carlson. He was a stats guy. He was a guy in charge of all the stats, and so all that stuff, the, the captaincy, the preparation. The commitment. I mean, Europe are already. Have you seen the latest European video? Make it count. Yeah. I mean, it's phenomenal. There was a video yesterday kicking around with Brian Huggett was the kind of main star of it, and it was about you know you only live once. So yeah, I can't remember what the tagline was, but Europe's already miles ahead and all that stuff. You know, and and what it does is brings the team together. 
brings the fans together, brings the media together, frankly. I mean, I, I mean, I found myself getting goosebumps watching it. So there's all that stuff, you know, and will these, will these elements, these marginal elements add up to enough to overcome the American talent? That's what it comes down to. Yeah. It'll be fun to watch. I, I think oh. it's going to be close. I've got, I think the U S is going to just barely narrowly get this one. We'll see. I, uh, that's my, my prognostication at this point, but, um, that's it. Um, we're going to get you out of here on that. Um, people can find your McKellar at McKellar.com. No, McKellarMagazine.com. McKellar. I, I order it every, every, uh, do you know what? And that is really greatly appreciated. Everybody should read it. It's, uh, Lawrence writes in there, Tom Dunn, Mike Clayton, you know, it's a lot of guys that I I would pay to write read uh read their writing and uh and it it deserves to be supported. All their back issues are are relevant today, so if you go there, dip your toe in by getting one of the one of the first five editions. Do you have a favorite? Is that like picking a favorite kid? I do. I like the I like the, the latest one with mm-hmm. uh, the image of Royal St George's on it. Clayton's done a thing in the latest one. You know, it's the, the Mike Clayton anthology. Remember, at Motown used to do the Smokey Robinson anthologies. You know, this is Mike Clayton. Everything that Clayton's ever thought and said about uh, about golf course architecture is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, it's great. All right, thanks, Lawrence, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon. All the best, Andy. Take care. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode was edited by Meg Atkins and Garrett Morrison. And as a quick reminder, this is a great week to sign up for the newsletter. Go to thefriedegg.com and it's free. It'll come every day of the competition. And Will is on the ground, so we we should have some really good insights and uh, keen things that make it even better than it is every week which is three days a week and in my opinion the best newsletter in golf so sign up at thefriedegg.com it's free it comes three days a week it's a perfect way to stay up to date on all the golf news (music) 